Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Humans of the world. Hello, it's me, Ellie Krug. I am here talking to you from Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950 in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And But I do need to do a shout-out because humans of the world, that's what this show is all about. It's about all humans. And there's a particular human in Scotland, Nixie. Um, who I need to just do another shout out to because she's recruiting other listeners in the UK. Nixie, thank you so very much for doing that. And it's great to always hear from you as well as to hear from my other listeners. Welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, where idealists and idealism reign free and unabashed. And listeners, today it's another Ellie talking head show. Sorry, no guest. Uh, my life is very complicated and locating guests sometimes gets to be difficult. So I'm trying. We've got one next week. So don't worry about that. But um, thanks for putting up with it. Uh, you know, but I promise to you that this is going to be an interesting show nevertheless because you know that I would uh, never ever intentionally mislead you about it being interesting. So I want to begin with talking about an idealist who is not someone who would readily come to mind as anyone trying to change the world, okay? Uh, certainly not about trying to change the world in a positive way. Um, but you'll recall that several weeks ago I said that sometimes idealists aren't of the ilk that everyone likes. And that is the idealist I'm going to talk with you about right now. Um, our featured idealist is a man named Larry Flint. Yes, uh, that Larry Flint. That's right. Uh, the publisher of Hustler magazine. Um, uh, the man of many egregious comments and commentary in the public. Um, but bear with me before you tune out about how he's an idealist. Um, and for what follows, I need to Credit Wikipedia. Thank God, Wikipedia, you exist. And an October 1996 New York Times piece by Frank Rich titled Larry Flint, Patriot. That's right. 1996 New York Times wrote about Larry Flint actually being a patriot. So now you're getting an idea of where I'm going. Ellie, why in the world are you telling us that Larry Flint is an idealist? Well, it goes back to the Constitution. Specifically, it goes to the First Amendment, the right of free speech, a right to a free press, the right to assemble, rights that we take for granted. But before I get there, let me tell you a little bit about Larry Flint. First of all, he was born poor in Kentucky to a 17-year-old mother. Um, eventually, uh, he left Kentucky. Um, he um, only... Uh, he left Kentucky. He didn't finish high school. Uh, he, in fact, he enlisted in the um, he enlisted in the army when he was 15 years old, and and, and falsified um, his uh, birth certificate so that the army would take him. Later on, he left the army, um, and then he went back um, into the military. He went into the navy, and I'm telling you this because interestingly, he was the navy radar operator on the USS Enterprise aircraft carrier. Uh, that plucked uh, John Glenn out of the ocean when John Glenn made his very first historic space flight. So there's a little bit of history tied to Larry Flint. Uh, he, Larry Flint then, after the military, he went, 
he went back to Dayton, Ohio, uh, where his mother was living at the time, and he bought a small bar there. Um, he worked hard. Um, he had great work ethic, and soon he had bars in several Ohio cities. He came up with the idea to feature nude hostesses, okay? Now we're starting to get into the sultry stuff. Um, and he called them hustler clubs. In 1972, he created a two-page newsletter, the Hustler Newsletter, uh, to promote his bars. Um, but he found that customers loved the newsletter. So within three years, okay, that two-page newsletter went to Hustler Magazine. It, went, it morphed into Hustler Magazine. Um, and then, again, remember, um, we're holding our nose here as we talk about Larry Flint. But in August of 1975, Hustler Magazine really took off because Larry Flint published photos of Jackie Onassis, formerly Jackie Kennedy, of her nude sunbathing. Um, within a couple of days, one million copies of Hustler magazine were sold. So that put him on the map. That made Larry Flint a millionaire. Um, but all along the way, Larry Flint uh, was fighting obscenity laws. And um, so we're talking in the 70s and into the 80s. But in 1978, he was in Gwinnett, uh, County, Georgia, uh, during an obscenity trial. During a break in that trial, Flynn and another man were outside the courthouse um, walking. And a gunman, a gunman, um, took it upon himself to uh, seek to assassinate Flynn and uh, to shoot the other man. The other man survived, um, but Flynn, uh, he also survived. But as a result of that shooting, he was paralyzed from the waist down and relegated to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Now back to why I'm telling you about this. I've already mentioned to you about the Constitution and the First Amendment. Much of what Flynn did, Flint, excuse me, Larry Flint, what he did in the area of obscenity was he pushed the boundaries of what was considered free speech. Um, uh, you know, but when, uh, frankly, we are faced with an authoritarian 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 government um, as we in America seem to be increasingly facing right now. Larry Flint's work around the First Amendment, about what the First Amendment protects, what it doesn't protect, um, may in turn have become highly critical. So remember that Frank Rich piece in the New York Times titled Larry Flint, Patriot, uh, that piece was dated, uh, dated October 12, 1996, before the advent of the current administration, before the advent of what we are seeing going on in our country right now with all of the division. Um, and, uh, and that piece, you know, again, in the New York Times by Frank Rich, um, highlights that Flint did something incredibly important for our country by pressing the boundaries on obscenity laws. Um, but um, most of all, uh, Flint may be remembered because uh, as an idealist um, because he took on organized religion. Now remember, I don't have anything against religion. It's just fine, okay? But he, par he did a parody of the Reverend Jerry Falwell. It was a very uh, raunchy parody. It was. But buried in uh, – it was an advertisement uh, parody that uh, was in Hustler uh, magazine that Flint came up with. But buried 
deep into the into the advertisement. It was a fake advertisement for um, a liquor or alcohol, but buried into that parody was the words, "This is a parody." Okay, uh, Jerry Falwell um, uh, sued uh, Larry Flint and Hustler Magazine for um, infliction of emotional distress. Um, uh, in part because in that parody, Flint was characterized as an alcoholic, incestuous sinner. Um, all of this uh, later on was encapsulated in the movie The People versus Larry Flint. Okay? You know, I don't know if you've seen the movie. Um, I've seen bits and parts of it. I did not watch it in preparation for this show. I didn't maybe do my homework as best I could, but there you go. Okay? But um, that case, um, the Falwell case, uh, went eventually to the United States Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, now this was led by Chief Justice William Rehnquist, who was a Republican, and um, a court, you know, fairly, uh, at least led by a conservative, that court unanimously ruled that Flint and Hustler magazine had the right to parody, do a parody of Falwell. Had that right not been established, okay, had Falwell, excuse me, had Flint not pressed that boundary with Falwell, um, Saturday Night Live might be out of business with the current presidential administration. As Larry Flint said, quote, if the First Amendment will protect a scumbag like me, then it will protect all of you because I'm the worst, period, unquote. Again, we can't always pick our idealists. Sometimes they simply show up and they show up in ways we didn't expect and that we otherwise might not entirely welcome. Still, that doesn't mean they're not working to change the world in a positive way. Um, And because I am non-jurisdictional, I do not believe that there is blue inclusivity or red inclusivity or even Bernie inclusivity. I'm non-jurisdictional as it relates to understanding about people who make a positive difference in our world. I will take idealists from any, any genre or affiliation if in the end their work benefits other people. Because in the end, it's all about changing the narrative, about moving the needle, about changing the way the world operates. And Larry Flynn, he did exactly that. So there you go. I just gave you an idealist that you probably would not have expected from Ellie Krug. I hope I didn't lose you as I was doing all of this. Um, But that's me. I will show up. I will speak the truth. And I will talk about idealism in any context. Thanks. We'll be back in a moment. I've got more coming to you. I promise it'll be happier and better and more family friendly. (laughs) Ah, You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. We'll be back in a minute. And 
we're back. Elon, Ellie 2.0 Radio, AM 950. Okay, okay, I know, Larry Flint, I know. Um, so after uh, Larry Flint, let's shift a bit, okay? And let's talk um, about how certain idealists are elevated by a group of anonymous people. I know, can you believe that? I'm speaking of the MacArthur Fellows Program, uh, the MacArthur Fellowship. Uh, you may not be familiar with those names at all, but you may know this phrase, Genius Grant. Um, and you may recall uh, several weeks ago I talked about um, wanting to highlight uh, the MacArthur Fellowship because of the way it elevates anonymous humans who are doing incredible work in the world. Um, some of it is idealist. Some of it is artistic. Um, but, but it has the ability to elevate people. Um, in ways that almost nothing else can. What is the MacArthur Fellowship? It's an annual award uh, given to somewhere between 20 and 30 people by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Now, if you ever listen to another um, very cool radio uh, station in the Twin Cities, as well as nationally um, uh, with the initials NPR, you will see, you will hear about the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation because they have another kind of grant for NPR. Um, so John D., uh, the D stands for Donald MacArthur, grew up in poverty as the son of a Baptist minister who traveled along the East Coast and Midwest. John D. MacArthur dropped out of high school after the ninth grade, and he became a salesman, which included selling insurance. Ultimately, at the height of the Depression in 1935, MacArthur bought Banker's Life and Casualty Company for $2,500. That sounds to me like that was kind of – I mean $2,500 in 1935 was still a lot of money, but that still sounds like bargain basement to buy an insurance company. Eventually, MacArthur and Bankers Life and Casual Company began to acquire smaller insurance companies. Later, MacArthur started to invest in real estate in Florida. Now, this is back before Florida was the go-to destination. So MacArthur was a visionary in a variety of ways. And eventually, uh, towns like North Palm Beach, Palm Beach Gardens, and Palm Beach Shores would originate out of the land that MacArthur bought. I think he bought like 2,500 or 5,000 acres. So through it all, MacArthur's wife, Catherine T. MacArthur, was involved in John's business affairs. And then um, after, John, after John MacArthur, D. MacArthur died, uh, Catherine oversaw the charity um, that followed his death in 1978. Now, the MacArthur Foundation gives away, get this number, $260 million in grants every year of which the MacArthur Grants, the Fellowship Grants, the Genius Grants are only a small part. Now, with that background, let's get to the Genius Grants. There's a website about the MacArthur Fellowship, which gives – which um, – about the fellowship. And let me tell you about what they say on their website. So I'm going to be reading some from the uh, MacArthur Grant Fellowship website. Um, so – it's, it lists three criteria for the selection of fellows. These are the recipients of the Genius Grants. First, they must have exceptional creativity. Second, 
They must uh, have promise for in future for important future advances based on a track record of significant accomplishments. So in other words, you have to have been doing something, and then it looks like you're going to continue to be doing those things in the future. Thirdly, um, there must be the potential for the fellowship to. F- for the fellowship to facilitate subsequent creative work. So in other words, we give you this fellowship, we give you the grant, you got to keep going, okay? You don't just take the money and just kind of drop out. However, the grant is without any strings. I'll get to that in a second. The, the website goes on to say, quote, the MacArthur Fellowship Program is intended to encourage people of outstanding talent to pursue their own creative, intellectual, and professional inclinations. In keeping with this purpose, the foundation awards fellowship directly to individuals rather than through institutions. Recipients may be writers, scientists, artists, social scientists, humanists, teachers, entrepreneurs, or those in other fields with or without institutional affiliation. They may use their fellowship to advance their expertise engage in bold new work, or if they wish, to change fields or alter the direction of their careers. Although nominees are reviewed for their achievements, the fellowship is not a lifetime achievement award, but rather an investment in a person's originality, insight, and potential. I'll say that again. The grant is an investment in a person's originality, insight, and potential. Isn't that like a kind of wonderful thing? Indeed, the purpose of the MacArthur Fellowship Program is to enable recipients to exercise their own creative instincts for the benefit of human society. Now, if that ain't – if that's not idealistic, I don't know what is, okay? And so the way that it works, all right, um, is that um, there is an anonymous group of humans, okay, that that has another group of humans uh, that they solicit – nominations for the fellowship grant, for the genius grant. So there's this invisible network out there of people who are paying attention to what's happening in the world. And then ultimately, there's a committee of about a dozen people okay, who are anonymous. All right, Everything is anonymous here because you can't write to the MacArthur Foundation and say, I want a grant. And you can't write to the MacArthur Foundation and say, I'm going to nominate Joe Schmo for a grant. It doesn't work that way. There are these people, whoever they are, that are out there. And they're simply paying attention to what's going on in the world and what people are doing. Other qualifications to get the MacArthur Grant is that you have to be a U.S. citizen and you can't be part of elected office. You can't, you know, can't be like a politician and get this grant. Um, and the grant, as I said earlier, are without strings. There's $625,000 that are payable in installments over five years. Can you imagine? I mean, if you are a struggling idealist, can you imagine how an influx of that money with no, you know, you don't have to do a report. You don't have, you know, you don't have somebody overseeing how you spend the money. You get to use that money as you see fit. Um, I mean, my goodness, uh, that is just something else. Unbelievable. Since 1981, 1,040 people have been named MacArthur Fellows. Um, and, you know, just by coincidence, Ellie Krug's been finding some of those people. I did not know this, but Tanishi Coates, um, who I featured on this show maybe three weeks ago, was a 2015 MacArthur Fellowship grant recipient, as well was, um, as well was Reverend William Barber, who I featured 
last year. Um, Reverend Barber is uh, based out of, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina. He goes around the country speaking about the need to fight injustice. I featured him as a featured idealist. Um, but uh, there are other um, other recipients as well, like Lynn Manuel, Manuel uh, Miranda of Hamilton. He's a MacArthur Grant uh, recipient. And then let me give you an idea. Last year, just last year, uh, the number uh, – the, the kinds of people that got MacArthur grants, that got these genius grants. So there was a philosopher who got one, an attorney, a cartoonist, an artist, a paleoclimatologist, paleoclimatologist got one, a guitarist, a plant biologist, a theoretical geophysicist got a genius grant. I mean they're all over the place. I love it because idealism shows up in a variety of ways. People are trying to change the world in many, many, many different ways. And I think that the MacArthur Grant, this genius grant stuff, is incredibly important for us to understand. I, um, I am just so amazed that they've been able to do this grant making for now several decades. And it looks like they're going to just continue going. So, oh, and I should mention – um, in Minnesota, at, uh, and I'm sorry, I did not do my homework, but I do know this, that a, um, a professor at um, what is now Mitchell Hamlin uh, Law School received a grant uh, about three or four years ago um, uh, for her work around uh, uh, pr- protecting Native American communities. Um, and I'm sure right now many of you are like yelling her name right to me and I apologize for not having done my homework in advance of that. Hey, it's a, I'm an army of one, okay? Uh, bottom line, pay attention to when the MacArthur Grant recipients are announced. Um, go research them. Applaud them. Applaud the fellow, the uh, MacArthur Grant people um, and be happy that such an institution exists in America. Thanks. All right. Well, we take our break. I'm going to come back with some happy news about humans. So hopefully something that will make you smile. Hopefully, maybe I just made you smile. Anyway, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. You may want to do that after the Larry Flint thing. And uh, follow me on on Instamedia, on social media. The handle on Instagram is at elliejkrug. I'll be back in a second. Back on Ellie 2.0 Radio, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, um, with my Talking Head show. Hopefully, hopefully, um, you're still enjoying this, even though I don't have a guest to, you know, stimulate you with a conversation with someone, and you just have to listen to me, um, who's all over the place with all kinds of things. But let me, on this one, on this segment, renew your faith in humanity. How's that sound? Okay. Boy, we sure could use that. Um, you know, and of course, that's my work generally. Uh, my work is geared toward giving people hope about renewing faith in humanity. Um, and remember, you've heard me say this like a million times, and I'm sorry, but I keep saying it because people forget is that people, humans are way better to each other, that we care about each other far more than anyone knows. We do. 
Um, I, I know you go on social media. It looks like all we do is hate each other. That is not the case. We care about each other more. But here's a wonderful story about a stranger coming uh, out and caring for another stranger. Uh, Rajbir Singh, he goes by the, the name Ra, Raj, uh, was a cab driver in Roseville, California, a suburb of Sacramento. And maybe you saw this story. I don't know. In early February, Raj, uh, as a cab driver, now he's a cab driver, it's his own cab company, he picked up a 92-year-old woman who said that she needed to go to the bank to withdraw $25,000 to pay a relative's debt with the IRS. Now, Raj uh, didn't think this made much sense. And to his credit, um, he immediately told the woman not to do it. But the 92-year-old passenger was adamant about getting the money because, of course, the IRS said, you know, the money was needed for a relative. Um, At that point, uh, Raj uh, um, thought outside the box and, and, and he said, can you give me the phone number of this man who's called you? Okay. And so <laughs> so the woman gave him the phone number and, the, and Raj called the phone number of the you know, fictional IRS man um, and, and or it was the IRS man or the, or the fictional relative of this woman, a long lost relative who you know, rang her up and said, you know, Aunt Matilda – I'm in a lot of trouble. Can you help me with the IRS? But Raj, the cab driver, gets the number from the 92-year-old. He calls the number and um, and is like, who the heck are you? You know, are you the IRS? Are you this relative? And eventually, the person on the other end with Raj, after he tra- called several times, eventually that person blocked him from calling, okay? So Raj knew something was up. I mean, this confirmed Raj's instincts. But the 92-year-old woman was persistent because it's the IRS. You, you know how some people are, okay, particularly older people with this thing about, you know, the government and authority. and Oh, it's my long-lost relative. I have to be there for him. So Raj again thought outside the box. And what he did at that point, I mean, he did not take her to the bank. Thank you, Raj. And instead, he drove her to the local police station uh, where uh, they were able – you got her you, you got her to go into the police station with him and where a police officer – again, now a different form of authority, you know, uniform said, uh, ma'am, uh, this is a scam. Don't take the money out of the bank. And at that point, the 92-year-old believed Raj. OK? And I just – I. I, I want to share this story with you because what I love about it is that it was a human who was persistent. And, and, and in fact, uh, the Roseville, California Police Department on its Facebook page wrote about this story. Okay, And then on their Facebook page – and this is the part that I think is so great Okay, because on the Facebook page, this is the police writing about what Raj, Raj did. Here's what they wrote on Facebook. Quote, we love this story because several times throughout, Raj could have just taken his customer to her stop and not worried about her well-being. Um, Roseville police said on the Facebook post – I'm reading out of a CNN uh, uh, article here uh, – And then the Facebook post went on, quote, he took time from his day and had the great forethought to bring the almost victim to the police station for an official response, period, unquote. Now, that's that's the thing. Now, hold on. Before I sum everything up for you, 
literally, and I'm not making this up, as I'm preparing for this morning's show, um, laying on my bed at, you know, 7 or 6.30 in the morning, um, writing out script. I know it doesn't sound like I'm reading script, but believe me or not, I, I am reading script most of the time here. As I'm doing this, there was another, another story, another news feed story about a taxi driver in West Des Moines. Uh, this just showed up this morning. A taxi driver who saved an 83-year-old woman, there's a pattern here, of course, from paying $40,000 to a fake IRS scam. Um, again, same story about the taxi driver picks up the woman. Um, she says, um, you know, I want you to uh, take me to the bank. Now, the, the scammer had actually arranged for this taxi to pick the woman up. Okay, so um, – and the – and the taxi driver is like, um, I don't think that this is right. And ultimately, you know, talk the 83-year-old woman in West Des Moines uh, to not go to the bank, to not take the money out, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, all of this, uh, all of this is about humans. These are strangers who decided that they would not just simply go along uh, with – their customers and decided that instead that they would exercise, I think, great imagination as well as great empathy. And so here's – let me tie this up for you now, OK? You know, in our society, there are gradations of um, stature, OK? We're in the middle of a presidential uh, campaign right now run by billionaires and millionaires, of course, and, and society places great emphasis – and accolades on people at that end of the economic scale. Cab drivers and bus drivers, and you know from my work, um, particularly if you get my newsletter, The Ripple, which goes out every month to 9,000 plus people, you know from my work I highlight bus drivers who save people from jumping off of uh, bridges or who stop their buses in the middle of the road when they see a toddler um, wandering around in the road, stop their buses and literally get out and save the toddler from traffic. And now we have cab drivers who are going and exercising utmost compassion for other people. And from that Roseville Facebook post, it was a – you know, they highlighted that Raj um, took the time, okay? And that's the thing that I think I want to leave this story with, which is – in order to exercise compassion, in order to be there for other humans, we not only have to pay attention, i.e. cab drivers asking about where are you going, ma'am, and what are you, what are you doing that for? Um, not only about paying attention, but it's about taking the time, and particularly with cab drivers. You know, you know it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there right now for cab drivers as well as Lyft and, and uh, Uber drivers. And, but particularly for our cab drivers. And to decide that you're going to take the time to spend the time with a customer to help them not get scammed, which means you're going to lose fares. It means you're going to chew up time. It means you're spending gasoline on things that maybe aren't going to ever result in, in compensation for you. That's the key because that's really what it takes to care about another person is to spend the time to help them. That's what it's all about. Money, eh, that's not the currency. The real currency is one's time. So there you go. I hope that I made you feel better.
I hope that I renewed a little bit of faith in humanity. That's my whole goal, you know. That's me, Ellie Krug, idealist, trying to make the world better for all people, not just for me, not just for transgender people, but for all people. And sometimes the way we do that is telling stories about how people are good with each other because we're a society of storytellers and story listeners. That's how we listen. Okay, well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I hope you enjoy me. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you do, go visit my website at illycrug.com. When we come back, I'm going to talk um, in my C block about my work. Thanks. Thanks. 